What changes might the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration make to ELD rules? I'm HDT Editor-in-Chief Deborah Lockridge, and we'll explore that question in this episode of HDT Talks Trucking. Each month on HDT Talks Trucking, we go behind the news to bring you updates and additional insight into one of our hot stories from the previous month from our website, truckinginfo.com. Our top story from September was an advance notice of proposed rulemaking from the FMCSA asking for input about possible changes to the regulations governing mandatory electronic logging devices, or ELDs. To dive into this, I have with me Brandon Wiseman. He's president of TruckSafe Consulting and partner with Childress Law, and he took the time to talk with us before heading out on vacation. But before we dive in, don't forget to like and follow HDT on social media and subscribe to HDT Talks Trucking via YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. More after this. What drives your decisions? The choices you make can make a big difference for your fleet, and it all starts with what's under the hood. So when everything is riding on you to keep the wheels on the road, turn to the proven protection of SitGuard heavy-duty engine oils. Learn more at sitgolubes.com. So, Brandon, welcome to HTT Talks Trucking. Thanks, Deborah. Appreciate the invite. So we're here today to get uh, to talk about the advance notice of proposed rulemaking that the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration published last month on how it can improve its rules on mandatory electronic logging devices. So I wanted to get your take as a transportation attorney and safety consultant um, about what these might mean. Uh, before we start look, looking at kind of what the FMCSA is looking at, What's your take on why the agency has taken this step in the first place? Well, you know, so the ELD rule has been in effect, um, in full effect now for a few years. Uh, and it had a rocky road, as we all know, to, to get to where it is currently. Um, I think the agency originally proposed something like ELDs uh, back in the early 2000s. And then uh, a bunch of court challenges uh, those rules, I think they, they tried a couple of times to get it passed and, and it got shot down um, by federal courts a couple of times. And then ultimately the rule that we know now today um, was published in 2015. Final rule um, went into effect in 2019, fully effect. And so now we've now that we've had some time uh, operating under these rules, the agency mentions in its advance notice of proposed rulemaking that it now has some data available to it to judge the effectiveness of those devices and the rules as they are currently structured. Is it accomplishing the goal that the agency uh, was hoping to accomplish with these devices? And so that's why at least the agency is saying that they are now um, issuing this notice and kind of looking at some potential tweaks to the rule. I'm kind of surprised they want to dive back into that after the <laughs> difficulty we had actually getting the rule in place. That's um, right, yeah. So, and so this is an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, which basically they're asking questions about these various areas and they want to get input and data from the industry and other stakeholders, as the government likes to say. Um, there's, I think it was five areas that they're asking questions about. Can you just kind yeah. of briefly outline what those areas are? Yeah, so first up is um, 
pre-2000 model year engines. So as most will know, the current ELD rule uh, contains essentially three exemptions. There are three categories of drivers that are not subject to ELDs. Uh, one of those categories are drivers who are operating vehicles with a with an engine that has a, that is a model year 1999 or older. The idea with this exemption originally, at least as the FMCSA explained it in its original rulemaking, was that there are certain older engines that just don't have the the uh, technology to be able to interface with ELDs to to be able to. Uh, you know, track their um, track the, the detail that those devices track, and so they had to cut it off at some point. They had to to draw a bright line as as to what engines or what vehicles were going to require these devices in, and what were not. And so they drew the line at pre two thousand model year engines. And what they say in the advance notice of proposed rulemaking is that they <clears throat> have since learned. I don't know why this is something you learn um after uh, after the fact but it seems like it would have been equally available to them before the fact but regardless they have apparently learned that um, even some of the older engines um have the electronic control modules the ecms that can still interface with elds and so now they're asking should we do away with or somehow modify that exemption to allow or, or to require ELDs, even for some of those older engine uh, engines, even if it's rebuilt engines, for example. So a lot of times you'll have quieter kits where, um, you know, it's a it's an older engine, but it's been rebuilt or it's an older truck and it has a newer engine. So in those situations, the agency is contemplating, at least as it says in its ANPRM, um, maybe requiring ELDs for those trucks. So we'll see where that goes, but that's the first topic. Okay. Second one has to do with um, uh, ELD malfunctions and what happens when um, when a driver's operating a truck and the ELD's working fine, but then all of a sudden it's not working fine. Well, the rules as they exist currently set out some uh, a specific process that drivers are to follow, and it's generally this: it's if if the device is malfunctioning in a way where it's no longer capable of accurately tracking the driver's duty status changes, then the regulation says that the driver has to immediately notify his or her motor carrier that there's been a malfunction, and then he or she has to switch to paper logs. And they have to use those paper logs until the malfunction is is fixed and the device is working again, but they can't use paper logs for more than eight days. In other words, the device has to be fixed or replaced within eight days. Now, if the, the device malfunctions in a way that is still capable of tracking the driver's duty status, then the regs say you can't switch to paper. You have to continue using the device to track your duty status, even though it's malfunctioning in some other way. Problem is, if I'm a driver, I don't always know exactly the nature of the malfunction. The device is telling me that it's malfunctioning. It's throwing a, a code or a light or something. And I don't know if that's tracking, accurately tracking my duty status or not. So the agency is asking, do we need some changes to the rule to clarify in what circumstances a driver needs to switch to paper logs or not? <laughs> My in my estimation, it's always best if we can get some clarity. It seems like a silly question to ask. Do we need to clarify? Yes, you need to clarify. Um, so I suspect we'll get some clarity in, in that regard. So that's yeah. the second. That one, that one seems kind of like a, a 
obvious <laughs> thing that they I'm sure started figuring out once drivers really started using them. Yeah, no brainer. Yeah, and, and you know we see this a lot where uh, and it trips a lot of drivers and carriers up where their device will malfunction and they either don't switch to paper and so now you've got no record of duty status and and there's just a lot of problems that, that can come out of uh, those types of situations so getting some clarity in that regard I think would be helpful. Um, the third on the list uh, has to do with the removal of ELDs from the FMCSA self-certification list. Um, and so the, the way that we have it structured in the U.S. for ELDs, it's a self-certification process for the manufacturers of those devices, uh, which is unlike Canada. So Canada recently uh, implemented their own ELD requirement, and Canada has it set up so that uh, in order for a device to be sold to motor carriers um, that operate in Canada, the device actually has to be certified by the agency in Canada that regulates highway safety. In the US, it's a self-certification process. So US manufacturers of ELD devices just certify that, that, they, that their devices meet the technical standards that the FMCSA has established for those devices. And we're kind of taking their word for it, that they, that they actually meet those standards. Nobody's actually testing them to make sure that they meet those standards. And you, know, you, can, you can see how that could cause some problems. Um, and we have seen it cause some problems. Uh, more recently, um, we've seen the FMCSA step in and actually remove some devices, revoke some devices from that self-certification list when it has come to the agency's attention that the device doesn't actually meet the regulations that the manufacturer has said that, that they meet. And so the questions in the advanced notice of proposed rulemaking uh, about the process for removing devices, there's several questions that the agency is seeking input on. Uh, for example, if an ELD provider goes out of business and fails to uh, self-revoke their device, should the agency then be able to immediately remove that device from the registered ELD list? So things like that. What are we going to do about revoking devices that turn out not to be compliant? So that's one of the big areas of, of concern in this advanced notice of proposed rulemaking. I remember it's been a while actually since I've looked at it, but when it was going, when the rule was going to effect, I was digging through that self-certified list. Mm -hmm. And because we were trying to put together like a list for the magazine of, of yeah. companies and some of them had already gone out of business before the rule even went into effect. And yeah. others were, they were, um, you know, a fleet had written its own ELDs. And uh, so it, it was really kind of a mess. I don't know if that's still the case. No, it's still the case. And I'm a bit surprised that we haven't seen more devices revoked by the agency. You know, we, we always say that the agency is, um, it's got its hands full with all of the carriers that it has to regulate. It's a relatively small agency, as we know, uh, compared to the universe of motor carriers that it's charged with regulating. And so if it's got its handful there, then now we're expecting it to also kind of oversee the manufacturers of these devices. It just doesn't have the bandwidth, it seems, to, to be able to, to effectively do that. And so we've only seen them revoke a couple of devices to this point. Uh, and there are hundreds on the self-certification list. And to your point, Deborah, there are many on there that are, are no longer even in, in existence. So the list uh, is a little bit cumbersome to work through. I don't know that it's all that helpful to motor carriers that are looking for it and so are looking at it. 
And so, uh, yeah, I think some changes to the way that we um, look at the self-certification list are warranted at this point. All right. So that's three out of five. What are uh, the last two things they're looking at? Yeah, last two. Um, so, uh, and these are probably what I would consider, well, along with the pre-2000 engines, these two are also pretty significant. So first up are proposed changes to the detailed technical specifications. These are the detailed rules that apply to manufacturers of the devices that say exactly what the devices have to be capable of, what, what data do they have to be capturing, what happens if, if this event happens, et cetera. And so there are some proposed changes that the agency is considering to those technical specifications. Uh, and there's a handful of them um, that, that if, if you're interested in those, you can pull up the, the advanced notice and you can take a look at it. But generally speaking, um, it's gonna be things like um, how frequently should the ELD be tracking uh, or, or, or pinging your, your, the driver's location, for example. Uh, and, and the big one here, in my view, is this idea of an automatic duty status change. Uh, in instances where a driver forgets to change his or her duty status before they power down the truck. So this was an issue that a lot of our clients have, uh, and it causes some pretty significant uh, compliance-related problems for them where drivers are going about their day um, and, and maybe at the end of the day, uh, let's say that they're in personal conveyance status um, and they forget to log out of that personal conveyance status into off-duty before they go off-duty for the weekend. They leave it in personal conveyance status and then they shut down their truck. Well, under the current rules, the devices cannot automatically change a driver's duty status in that situation. It, it couldn't uh, it couldn't automatically switch them to off-duty when the, when the truck is shut down. That's just the way the rules are built currently, the technical specifications. But you can see how that causes a problem because now it looks like that driver has been in personal conveyance status for the entire weekend. So it kind of looks like they, they've been, if you were just to kind of quickly look at the log, it looks like they've been driving for the entire weekend in personal conveyance status, which is a problem. And it can lead to log falsification issues and the types of issues that we don't want to deal with uh, we don't want to have to deal with in an audit, for example. And so the agency is contemplating a change to the technical specifications that would potentially kind of fill that gap. It would allow the uh, devices to automatically change a driver's duty status in certain circumstances if the driver forgets to change the duty status before he or she shuts down the truck. So I think that would be a welcome change. Um, but it's those types of technical issues that the, the um, that the rule is looking or that the agency is looking to change. Yeah, I mean, that's, that would seem to make sense uh, with that automatic change. I know I've, I've heard uh, a lot of drivers having that problem. You just forget to switch it off. <laughs> yep, pretty common, pretty common. And then it causes a lot of headache on the back end. So, you know, motor carriers for their part are, are then tasked with uh, kind of managing, uh, you know, incorrect duty status uh, changes. For example, in that in that example I mentioned where the drivers uh, accidentally leave it in personal conveyance status, you know, all of those personal conveyance times or, or, or um, personal conveyance instances are going to be on the back office personal conveyance report that motor, that's an important report for motor carriers to check and make sure drivers aren't taking advantage of that status 
in order to conceal hours of service violations. So then from their perspective, if drivers aren't managing that well and they're leaving themselves in personal conveyance status, then when the carrier's tasked with looking at that report, they're going to see tons, potentially tons of personal conveyance time that they're going to have to then go meet with each of the drivers and try and get that rectified. Or else when the DOT comes in and does an audit and sees all this personal conveyance time, then they're going to have to deal with that at the time of the audit. And that's just not when you want to have to deal with it. So uh, I think, again, I think that's going to be a welcome change. Uh, so last but not least, and this is probably the biggest of all the proposed changes. And I want to be careful here. The, um, these are proposed changes only kind of in name. This is an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking. It's not a notice of proposed rulemaking. So it's not like the agency has actually proposed a change. What they are doing with the ANPRM is just notifying the public that, hey, we're considering, we're, you know, we're kicking the tires here on some issues. Give us your thoughts on where we should go with this. And so, um, you know, a lot of folks in the industry are a little bit up in arms about these proposals, and and that word has gotten back to the agency, and the agency's like, you know, whoa, 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 this is just in an advance notice. Right, this is just we're, we're just putting these questions out there. We're thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. Now, but you know, with that said, these types of notices right. often work their way into a, a notice of proposed rulemaking, um, but. Uh, suffice it to say, this is an early stage. So the agency is going to take all of the comments that they're getting. The last I looked, um, we've still got like a month. Uh, let's see. Yeah, about a month left on the comment period for this rule, unless it gets extended. And there are already almost a thousand comments last I checked. on. And, on, yeah. on and there's a lot of people that wait till the last minute. So I'm sure there's going to be. <laughs> so they're going to have, the agency is going to have a lot to wade through so but anyway um the last proposal here is is certainly uh the biggest in my estimation and it is a proposal to move away from that self-certification process that i mentioned earlier uh and to a process like canada's where either the fmcsa itself or uh you know maybe it sets up a, a third party group you know it has designees that do this for them uh, where they actually certify the devices before they allow them to be, um, you know, sold to the to the general public. So, um, and, and they want to get the public's thoughts on that. So, I, you know, if I'm a device manufacturer, obviously that makes me a little nervous because, um, from what I understand about Canada's system, I, I don't know it too well, but I, I understand that it, there's a lot of hoops to jump through to get your device certified by the Canadian authorities. Um, and so if we were to move to that type of system here in the US, again, I think that would make the uh, device manufacturers pretty nervous, but it is. Yeah, what it is. yeah so. Canada definitely had some, some issues with that. I mean, by the time the deadline came, they they had no certified devices yet. So they've had to keep. Yeah, that's a problem. That out <laughs> and they had, you know, we've got one agent, one company that can certify. Yeah, the FMCSA is going to have to give some serious thought to that, and they could use Canada as a model. They should use Canada as a model uh, if they're going to do something differently, because, yeah, that just does not seem um, uh, all that appealing to me if I'm the agency, a system where we can only push through one device every six months. And so now carriers only have a couple of options. Um, it just uh, it doesn't seem like that's a workable solution. So I think they would have to figure out something else. So uh, we'll see what the comments say. We'll see where that ultimately ends up. But yeah, that would be a big sea change if that were to happen. So you 
touched a little bit on this uh, as far as being an advanced proposal of advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, and that's just the first step. Um, for those not as familiar with the regulatory process, what happens next? Yeah, so next, so uh, the comment period currently when we're talking is set to close November 15th. Um, and assuming that stands, sometimes they extend the comment period for another 30 days. And usually they do that in situations where they're getting a ton of comments, which this one may be. So they may end up extending that. But right now, November 15th is the end of that uh, comment period. And so once the comment period closes, then the agency is tasked with reviewing all of the comments and having that, the, the comments inform where they go next. Um, you know, there have certainly been situations where there's been an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking and then the agency gets all the comments and then you never hear anything else. That's just the end of the road for that yep. potential rulemaking. So that's certainly an option. Uh, the other option is they get all the comments, they look at them, it informs their rulemaking, and then they come out with the next step, which is a, a notice of proposed rulemaking in, in PRM. And that is kind of what kicks off the actual rulemaking process. That is uh, we, uh, the way that we do uh, regulations in this country or that agencies like the FMCSA do regulations uh, is that they issue these notices of proposed rulemaking that explain what they're proposing. They have to give the public a period of time to comment on those. They have to consider the comments and then they eventually move on to the final rulemaking. So uh, if we get to that NPRM, uh, stage, then it will. They will open it back up. They will de uh, in that notice. They will detail what their proposal is. Here's what the here's what rule changes we are making. Here's where they will appear in the regulations. Here's how they will read, and then they will open that up to comments once more. Once more, um, usually for a thirty day period or something like that. And then once that comment period closes, then depending on the, you know, their review of the comments, then they would move into a final rule stage. So. And this pro process sometimes takes years, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not going to happen anytime soon. Um, you know, aside from the, the required timeframes that the agency has to give for comments, then they also have to have the time to review all of the comments, build that in, because we saw this play out with the ELD rule, right, where uh, if the agency doesn't do what it's required to do, if it doesn't put in the time to uh, assess all of the comments or to consider all of the concerns raised in those comments, or if they don't have the studies to back the reasons why they're doing things, this is something that a lot of folks miss with rulemaking, uh, is they, they, uh, they get the sense that some of it is done on a whim. But if it's done on a whim, it's not going to make it through because, uh, again, we saw this with the ELD rule. Courts will shoot things down if the agency doesn't go through the proper rulemaking process to pass the rule in the first place. That's what happened with the original uh, ELD rules. The court shot it down because the agency hadn't done enough to consider some of the concerns raised in the comments. Here, the agency would have to do all of that. It has to it has to have data to suggest that its changes are going to uh, have some net benefit to safety, for example. So it is going to be a long process. Uh, it won't be nearly as long as the original ELD rule process. Uh, I don't anticipate, but it's probably at least a year. We're at least a year out would be my guess before we would uh, see any kind of final rule. Uh, if not more, that, that's just my guess yeah, uh, yeah. based on based on previous rulemaking. So, all right. Um, well, Brandon, I think um, was there anything that 
surprised you in the things that they were asking about? No, nothing that really, well, so the certification thing surprised me a little bit. I didn't anticipate that the agency would ever uh, see fit to move to an agency certification process for the devices, um, uh, especially since they seem to be pretty short staffed to be able to kind of oversee the manufacturers to begin with. Do we really expect them to have the bandwidth to actually certify the devices themselves? I don't think so. So I, I didn't really see that coming. Uh, everything else stemmed from issues that uh, I know a lot of our clients had experienced. And so it, it seems kind of like the natural progression to, to get some of those issues fixed. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. All right. Great. Well, thank you, Brandon, for giving us your expertise there. Um, also, if uh, people want to dig in deeper to some issues, Brandon, you've got a show yourself, right? A live show. Yeah, we do a monthly live show called Truck Safe Live. We bring on um, well-known industry guests to talk about the hot button issues that impact motor carriers and their drivers. So uh, you can check that out, trucksafelive.com if you're interested. Uh, then we publish all kinds of articles, including some on, on this rulemaking over at trucksafe.com. Yeah, I'd said, in fact, I, uh, after I had waded my way through the notice myself, I saw your summary and I said, gee, well, that uh, I should have just waited for Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> we try and make it a, a little more uh, easy to digest. Yeah. And those, uh, you know, sometimes those notices, the way that they're drafted and the stuff that has to go into the notices just mm -hmm. uh, does not make it easy reading for sure. All right. Well, thanks again, Brandon. I'm Deborah Lockridge. This is HTT Talks Trucking, and thanks for tuning in.